I said earlier, he's one of those people that when he talks to you um, and when he speaks, uh, it's like an invitation to sit down and have conversation. So it's, it is, does feel kind of natural to almost interrupt him, you know. Um, it's like that. I'm not necessarily encouraging that this morning, but, uh, and please don't tell anybody tonight that I said that because we, we want them to be able to get through the night. But, but you know what I'm talking about? Uh, one of those people, Bill Johnson's one of those people too, where I always feel like I'm just sitting in his living room and he's talking to me. You know that? You know that, that kind of feeling? And I almost feel like I, I should stand up and just ask him questions in the middle of it with a thousand people there. And I'd probably get dragged out, though, down in Bethel. But, but I feel like that. And, and so, you know, we, we got together, and Tony began to, to help uh, me on a journey in sonship where I thought I already understood what we were talking about, and I understood things of the kingdom, but we, we went to another level in our own personal journey, in our own personal walk. And, and uh, they have become uh, tremendous, wonderful friends for us and, uh, um, and have, you know, cross paths many times in, in the network now, and always a delight, always a delight to spend time with them. And so uh, we, are, we are so privileged to have you two here with us. And when I told my wife that, that you, were, you, you were able to come, and she, her first thing was, is Marilyn coming too? And uh, I said, yes. She said, yes. So, uh, so then the next thing she said, well, well, they're not allowed to stay anywhere else but at our house. So we, we just have to make sure Derek and Paul are moved out. So, <laughs> so the pressure was on for them to, to get the house finished so that we could have Tony and Marilyn stay with us. We're so thrilled that you guys are here with us today. Uh, we want to bless you. I'm just going to ask you to stretch your hands out towards Tony and Marilyn right now. We're just going to pray for God to release something to us from heaven this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we're asking for a, an impartation into our spirits. Uh, as we walk this kingdom grace journey out, as your sons, as your daughters in the kingdom. We're asking, Father, for uh, an even greater revelation today to come forth. And, and Father, it to be that type of revelation that when we hear it, we go, yes, I, I, I think I actually knew that all along. It, it, it's, it's just I just didn't know that I knew it. And, Father, that it would be that kind of a, that's what the Bible means when it says it bears witness with our spirit. And, Father, we're asking that what is shared this morning would bear witness with our spirit and we would be able to say afterwards, you know what, I, I, I'm pretty sure I actually knew that all along. I just didn't know it. And, Father, we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you welcome Tony as he comes and shares this morning? Wow, this is a real joy to be back in Belleville. And... Uh, Great to meet Dean. We're so blessed to minister to last night as we just uh, understanding deeper and deeper just what it is to live. <laughs> oh, it's only the screen. Okay, it's the screen going up. Okay. And uh, just to live in the deep understanding of um, the grace of God and revelation and the day we live in is an incredible, exciting day to live in, isn't it? We're talking coming down in the car yesterday, but I'm uh, 72 now. My wife will soon be 70. She doesn't mind saying that this year. It's a celebration year for us. We've been married. We'll be married in January 50 years, and uh, she'll be 70. And, and uh, Church of the Nations, our lead globally. Uh, we're 40 years old this year, and all those good sort of celebratory times. So it's just one of those wonderful apostolic journey years, you know, and. Uh, you always reflect in times like that. There's always transition, isn't there? And I have a basic philosophy of life, and that is that transition is always new position for new provision. And you always approach transition in the kingdom uh, and understanding God's grace in it is always a step forward. It's never a step back. It's always new position for new provision and uh, just the way that God moves things forward. But we're... We're saying coming down in the van yesterday, people around my age, Ken's Gil's a bit younger than me, but uh, not much, but uh, uh, a few of us around that age that fellowship together uh, quite a lot in these days, we often talk about the incredible privilege it is to live through the last 50 years in ministry of um, just being able to be alive in it. You know, one of the things as you get older, 
you should realize more and more it's grace, grace, don't you? You know? I remember in early years of ministry, I preached more people out of the church than in. <laughs> you, um, believe you have this sort of revelation if you, when you're young enough that you're going to change the world. It was a few years into it when I realized I wasn't. All I had to do was tend the garden God had for me, and if we all did that, the world would change. But God's not called one person or one movement or one church or one anything to change the world. He sent the one that could and is, and it's all about him, isn't it? And you, you realize more of that just as you journey along. But, you know, 50 years ago when we started to come into some things of the um, ministry, Mara and I got married and on the first day of 1970 and three months later went into training in the denomination that was in then, you know, uh, to step out into what was, we felt was the call of God on our life. Little did we know where the journey was going to take us. But 50 years on that journey, in a, you know, in that whole way that you travel it, is you, you realize the privilege of what it was to be then and now. Because back then, a seismic shift was happening on the earth in Christendom. We called it the charismatic movement or the Jesus people revolution. And there hasn't been one since. That's the last seismic shift. That was the one that shifted the way we did church, we did stuff. <laughs> it shifted it. It's hard to believe back before that, that if you went into a worship service, if we had what we had today, it would have been worldly and heretical. To have a guitar in a service, good night, you had an organ on one side, and if you're really free, a piano on the other, and that was it. <laughs> if you moved the organ, you had a church split. If you moved the organist, you had revolution. It was the kind of time we were living in. And then all of a sudden, something happened. The war was poised in a tremendous moment. Students were flooding out of universities all over the Western world, particularly in protests. There was a free love movement that was happening and a liberal approach to culture and society was revolting against the traditions and laws and bondages that many things, rightfully or wrongfully, were taking place. The world was involved in a war that we thought would have no end that was called Vietnam. People were fed up with religion as they knew it. They were frustrated with governments all around the Western world. There was uprisings all over the place. You almost think we're talking about today. And in the midst of all that, Jesus, or the Father, just intervened in the culture. Something happened that just exploded across the face of the earth. We look back at it now and you can hardly explain it. I was in a Salvation Army setting back in those days and uh, people were in all kinds of places, situations, but something just happened. And it was hard to explain what was happening. You could, we were in the Salvation Army training college when it hit us. And uh, 17 or 16, 17 of us meeting every night after class just praying, God, let your Holy Spirit come. And we had no idea what it was going to look like. We had no fathers, there were no teachers. Some nights we'd sit there and wait and you'd just feel a little bit of a feeling and you'd start to think, is that it? Then it would go away. No, it wasn't. Nine months went on and exciting days, things that we couldn't believe. And all of a sudden, he just dropped on us in the college, in a place where it wasn't allowed. <laughs> but something was just happening that was just beyond and it began to shift everything, change everything. It changed our lives, obviously. We were, um, it was just happening. The movement tried to do everything to stop it. But in the end, nothing can stop it. can never stop her when it's just happening. I remember after it happened, Marilyn, uh, I was the ripe old age now of about 24, I guess. And Marilyn was about 21. And... Uh, 
we were really getting past life. It was moving on fast, you know. And we were in the midst of it, and they sent us all, the students that had, um, had this touch of God, got, we had a few weeks out training. So they sent us all over the state of Victoria in Australia, in Australia, as far as they could send us away from one another, hoping that in those weeks this whole thing would just stop. And I remember we were out in the place we were. Marilyn was pregnant with our first baby. We were in our Salvation Army uniforms, knocking on doors, sharing with people and doing things. Marilyn's got morning sickness. It's about 100 degrees, you know, or, you know, 35 Celsius or 37 Celsius, something. And it's just hot. And we were, Marilyn was just coming in to the things of the Spirit then. I was just a few weeks prior. And in the midst of all that, we just cried out one night. And we said, God, we just need our friends. <laughs> because the place they'd sent us to was to a man who believed totally the opposite of what we believed and we were given to him so he could quench it in us. Really, I mean, literally, that was it. He was a, they were nice people, but, you know, a different world, totally. And we cried out that night, we need our friends. And they were spread 100 miles separate from each other all over the state and we arrived back to the little house they'd given us to live in. As we drove in the driveway into the house, the lights were on and there was all these cars there. And we walked in and there, every single one of us that had been filled with the Spirit was in the room. And we said, what are you all doing in here? And they said, well, we're out in our town. Some were going into pubs to collect and do all the things that we do in the Salvation Army. And all individually from one another, they all heard Tony and Marilyn need you and I'd all drive to Melbourne and we all gathered together in this room, supernaturally. And the Holy Ghost met us. We had communion with a bit of bread and some orange juice and, and all that we had in the house. And um, something began to break loose. And from there, it took us to understand something of, as the journey went on, the Father, heart of God, the kingdom how it all comes from grace, what is this kingdom really all about, how do you travel it, what is it, how do you live in it, how do you understand this economy, how do you understand this government, how do you live in a kingdom that works on earth one day to disciple all the nations of the world and operate till all the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. And a great optimism began to rise in our hearts and we began to see some things but you know you realize as you travel it you look back and you think dear God if anyone gets to this stage of life and ever believes that somehow they did it then they've missed it totally because you look back and realize God it could have never been all you can prophesy over it is grace grace all you can declare over it is grace grace because grace is an incredible thing, isn't it? See, grace is not really the opposite of the law. Grace is the power for you to be able to keep the law without trying. Paul said, I am what I am through the grace, and yet I do more than you all, because I do it because of the grace that worketh in me. Grace works in you. It not only positions you, it works in you. It's the very thing that lets you do everything that you do. And so I'm just going to share a little bit with you about the story today and our story of grace and the kingdom. And then tonight, just share with you a little bit more. I know there'll be um, a few others here tonight. on just what has meant to us in understanding how we walk with God as a father in our life. Because I believe we're coming back. I'm just going to say this up front. We may not get back to it. But we've been testing this around the world recently and sharing it with our leaders in many nations. I lead a family of uh, kingdom works around 50 nations around the world and uh, well I did lead it till a few weeks ago yes yeah, sorry I mustn't say that anymore I've transitioned and um, but uh, still a, a part of it all <laughs> well, but it's um, that sidetracked me from what I was thinking about there sidetracked me when I said it I'll come back oh no um, but you know just when you look I'll just say this much on it but when you look as you travel it and you see it globally, you realize that what is happening in the nations of the world today, something is happening that of revelation, of understanding, of sight, that if you've got ears to hear and eyes to see, 
You're going to live in the greatest day you've ever lived as the kingdom is transforming culture. See, one thing I had to learn very much about the kingdom message and the Father heart of God and how it all goes together and how it all fits together because it all fits together in grace and grace is not an it, it's a him. See, you can never understand grace without understanding Jesus, can you? Because he is grace. Grace is not an it. The problem we have in Western Christianity is we make everything in it. And when you make anything in it, not a him, you miss the whole gospel of the kingdom. That's why it's very difficult to see or understand the walk in it. You see, until you understand and can transition to see where the fundamental reason of the cross wasn't to get you to heaven, but it was to get heaven to earth, then you can never get hold of what the grace capacity of everything that happened in that. Praise God for the other, our salvation, our redemption, all that. Obviously, that's, we are very thankful and we rejoice in that. But when Jesus went to the cross that day, there was something he released, and I'll share a little bit more about that tonight, I think. But there was something that he released that brought heaven this way. So the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the grace is never to say to somebody, he, if you give your life to Jesus, you can be changed and one day go to heaven. That's not the gospel of the kingdom. That's the gospel of the church and the gospel of salvation. The gospel of the kingdom that Jesus told us to preach is something beyond that to a measure. It includes all of that, but it's something far more. And what happened to me, you see, when I began to just get a little glimpse of the kingdom and the grace of God, I grew up in evangelical home. Marilyn and I had grown up in church life together. I met Marilyn when she was seven and I was ten, so I don't know much of my life without her. She was an immigrant from England back in those days. You immigrated from England, you were called a 10-pound pom. For 10 English pounds, you could immigrate to Australia as a family on the condition that you'd work there for two years. And they became known as the 10-pound poms. If you're ever in Melbourne and you're down, in the, uh, down near the railway tracks there in, in Melbourne, there's a museum and it's a museum to the immigration and it tells you the story of the 10-pound poms. So Marilyn's dad, who had been a prisoner of war in Singapore in the, in the war and helped on the Burmese railway and all that kind of thing, arrived back in England after all of the war and um, just couldn't adjust to the cold weather in that way. And his friend had moved to Tasmania, where I was, uh, to live and said, why don't you immigrate? Why don't you come out? You can come for 10 pounds, you know, and you only got to stay two years. If you don't like it, you can go back and... So that as a family, they decided, yes, they would immigrate as well. And so they came to our little Salvation Army church and was there at the docks to welcome them in as the ship arrived. And, and uh, that was all those years back. But there was something, uh, as that was developing, we grew up together and traveled together and grew up in that evangelical life. Now, I want to say this and say it careful to you. Some of you know our story, but... I love the life in the church. We went six, seven nights a week and eight times on Sundays. And that wasn't an exaggeration. I knew very early in life that Jesus came to give us meetings and give them to us more abundantly. <laughs> I was raised in that. I knew it. It was wonderful. It was those glorious times, you know. I mean, literally, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday, it was something we were practicing for, band practice, choir practice, Bible study, youth, you know, on Sundays, nine early in the morning we had prayer meeting, 10 o'clock outdoor meeting, 11 o'clock indoor meeting, two o'clock we would go to an old people's home and minister or help or at Sunday school, six o'clock at night outdoor meeting, seven o'clock indoor meeting, 8.30 youth, that was Sunday. And then we had people in for lunch and for dinner, you know, for the evening meal, for tea, because we were building relationships. We were just family. We just did everything together. Played basketball together, played cricket together, Australian rules football together. You know, whatever, we just did life. I didn't have to learn community after that. I was in the nearest thing to a cult without being one. <laughs> well, I think I was in a cult. This wasn't a false one. 
So if there are false cults, there must be true cults. Because cult's just a culture. It's a culture. It's a being joined to something. We talk about false cults all the time. But community, church life, in a sense, is a cult in that sense. You know, not a false one. It's true. It's a culture. You build life together, family together, relationship together, life, and all that. And I lived in it. And in those days, you see, I was playing a lot of basketball. I was going to basketball eight times a week. I was representing the northern part of the state. I was you know, playing in other leagues, coaching a girls' team, going to their games, coaching a young boys' team, going to their games. You know, eight times a week I was going to night school studying law. I was an accountant in local government, uh, assistant accountant in local government, had my own caravan, a trailer business with a couple of other folks, and uh, I reaped the ripe old age of about 17. Life was full. And I came home one night... And said to my mother, look, I'm just too tired to go to night school tonight. I was working the two jobs as well and everything. And I just needed to go to bed. And I did the next night the same thing. And I was training for a big basketball final. And I was getting weaker as I was going, much stronger. And it was really troubling me. That that was a thing that was bringing it to my attention. Anyhow, I come home this night. My mum said, you know, you've got to go to the doctor and have a checkup. I did. Next night, however it happened, I came back. My doctor had gone from Tasmania to the mainland of Australia for some conference. He flew back in, went into his office late at night, saw my blood tests on the thing and called my mum late at night and mum and dad and said, he needs to be in hospital by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. And there I was for the next, in and out for the next nine months with cancer. It was a shock when you're 17, 18 years old. It's a big shock. Life was there to the full. And... Uh, I was probably 18, I can't remember exactly, about 18 there. Marion was about 15, and she was there by my side most nights, you know, in the hospital, I was in and out, and, and um, something shifts when you're in those things. And I'm just sharing this with you because this is where I really began to understand the grace of God. We were full of doing stuff prior to this and enjoying doing the stuff. You know, it wasn't... Christianity wasn't a misery to me in any way. I really enjoyed it. But I remember waking up in the intensive care ward of the hospital and um, it's an eerie place to wake up when you're young. People had just been shot, things had happened, you know, people screaming. It's like you, you come around and you're in this environment that you know nothing about at all. And um, I remember waking up with this thought in my mind. All these years, well, there's only 17 of them or something, but all these years, what's really happened? And I began to think, you got to know the Christianity of the Christ or have you got to know the Christ of the Christianity? And I realized I'd got to know the Christianity of the Christ. I could do it. I could preach, give my testimony. I'd gone out many Sunday nights for older calls, I was just a good Christian sinner. I realized early why churches met on Sunday mornings, because if you're only going to go after sin, you might as well go after Saturday night. You got your best chance. So Sunday night morning was a great place and a great time to go for it if you're going to go for sin. And we always had another lot Sunday, you know. You want to bring your sin to Jesus and all I ever heard. I'm not saying it was all that was ever taught. All I ever heard, I'm sure I only heard a fraction of what was taught. But all I really ever heard, thinking back, was come and give Jesus your sin. You know, from that day to this day, I've preached at rock festivals. I've taught on the Father Heart of God with thousands of kids, with rock bands and tents and all kinds of things. I've never asked anybody ever in the 50 years to give their sin to Jesus. I did it every Sunday night not every but often on a Sunday night and a youth conference a youth camp everyone did and I heard people come and give Jesus your sin and it was this moment in my life when I began to understand the kingdom all those years back and his grace because I realized that he didn't want my sin he hated the stuff 
Last time he took it, it killed him. Why would he want it again? And why were evangelicals just telling me to give my sin to Jesus? Now I remember as I was getting better and now I'm the ripe old age of 18 or 19 I guess and, and I've been down to the beach surf for the day and I was going back to, took Marilyn back home to change and I was going to collect her to go to the movies that night and I'm driving up the hill to a house. I know exactly where it was and the hill. We were driving up it not long ago, but driving up that hill in Tasmania. And I remember as I was driving up the hill that night, I pulled over in my car by the side of the road and I look back and say, that was a moment. I believe it was a moment I truly got saved. People say, well, before that, were you saved? <laughs> All those decisions? Well, I'm sure I was saved under heaven. But that night I got saved under earth. And that was my life-changing moment. Because, see, the grace of God in understanding the kingdom saves you to earth, not to heaven. See, Jesus never said, and I say this because you're a committed group this time of a Friday morning, Jesus didn't say to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again or you can't go to heaven. He said to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. It takes insight to see the kingdom. It takes revelation. It takes understanding. You can't say, here it is, there it is, Jesus said. Something had to happen. Now, I'm not saying you don't have to be born again to be with the Lord. But in that context, what he was saying, be with him in heaven, he just simply said this, call under the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Just call under my name. His grace is unbelievable. I'm not sure how many, who he lets in or what happens and how all that works out. But there's something of understanding the revelation for here. And it happened to me in a marketplace scripture. I'm young, I've got my own little business, I'm working as an accountant in local government, I'm in that setting, I understood a little bit of finance and that, and so I guess it was a good scripture for a father to teach it to me through. But as I pulled in the, up in my car that night, I just sensed this, and it was this scripture. It's a long time ago, so I can't look back and say I know every word, every moment that was said, but what was registered in my heart through it was this scripture where it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl collector, like a, trade, like a businessman, a marketplace man. But when he saw a pearl of great price, he sold all the pearls that he had to get that pearl. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like that. And I realized in the car that night, as I was sitting there just on that thing, and this was going on in me. I, there was no ban, there was no <laughs> breaking down, there was no, just me in my car. But I remember as I looked at that, I realized if I want to fulfill what I'm here and what I'm about on earth, it's going to cost me my pearls, not my sin. And I realized that night in the car for the first time, that God didn't want my wrongs, he wanted my rights. And that started my journey that I'm here today continuing. Because I realized that day that he didn't want my wrongs. His grace had taken care of all that. Father sent Jesus, he died on the cross, all my wrongs had been paid for the price of debt. There's no debt. I didn't owe anything. Jesus had paid it. Father wasn't looking down saying, hey, you still owe me this or owe me that or something. There was something much bigger at stake here. And that thing that was bigger at stake was he was after my rights. My right to a nation, my right to Maryland, my right to my sports, my right to my business. I realized that if I was going to live kingdom life, the only right I could have was the right to have no rights. Because when you serve a king, there are no rights. It's easier for me to teach that here than it is down south of the border. 
a little bit because we understand a little bit at least. We understand royalty and family and kings and history and some of that kind of thing. But if you understand, if you're in Britain, you, the very ground you stand on is crown land. Everything really is just allowed in your life because a sovereign lets you have it, in theory. Democracy can't give it to you, but a king can. And when you stand in royalty, you see, something began to happen where I realized no one's life is only for someone else, and that someone else, he owns you, but he gives you total grace and freedom to live it to the full in every way, and all the provision of it, and every, you know, you become a joint heir and all that stuff that we understand about through his grace and living in royalty. But it began to work through. So we went to the movie that night, going home. We parked outside the car, outside the house, dropping off. And I said, honey, I think we need to break it off tonight, however the story went. He said, why? I said, I'm going to be a preacher. Because the only way I could interpret it was that meant I needed to become a Salvation Army officer because that's all I knew. I didn't know there was Christianity outside our four walls, really. So. And I remember Marilyn saying something like, you know, I've thought about some of that, you know, in our life, but if you do that, then I'm not ready for that price. And uh, so that night we just broke up after those years. A few weeks later, we got back together and of all the pearls that it cost me that night, this was the only one God gave me back. Amen. Amen. And I'm very thankful. Very thankful. But none of the others came back. Well, one or two have since. <laughs> gave up the right to have a house and all that and that's been come back multiplied and things. But you know, like he promised. But we began just to understand. And, and so as we began to understand and walk that journey some, something begins to shift and, and happen. You begin to see some things differently. And I look at people very carefully because this fatherhood question is a major question. I mean, oh, this is what I was going to say before we got sidetracked back there. But we've become convinced that fatherhood is the new evangelism, really. Four spiritual laws aren't the evangelism today. Fatherhood is the new evangelism. Because when Jesus died on the cross that day, and now we've progressed all the way along the path, now don't get me wrong when I say this, salvation's the vital part of it. But what did Jesus ultimately die to do on the cross to release his kingdom and all that? but was to reconcile us with our dad. Because if you understand a beginning and an end and God's you know, original intent is his eternal intent, the gospel of the kingdom, then his original intent was to have a people in this thing he created, this outpost, this colony, if you want to call it earth, to walk and live with their dad and populate the earth through family. That was the great commission. So you'll never understand the kingdom or you'll never understand the, the true grace story if you believe that the Great Commission was only, giving, was only given in the Gospels for us. That was the second time the Great Commission was given. The first time it was given was in Genesis. And you'll never understand the second time it was given if you don't understand the first time it was given because it was only a fulfillment of what was originally given and that's what we'll share on a little bit tonight on the grace of the atoms. But it's, the, it's, the, it's that story that began to unfold and grip our hearts. That God walked and he talked with Adam and Eve in that garden. It was home, it was fellowship, it was family. It was life. And he said, now I want you to populate the earth that way. Be fruitful, multiply, and populate the earth that way. So if we feel in the new age, if you want to say, of the, of the Great Commission, what was given in the gospel, the fresh birthplace of the kingdom of God on earth, and believe it's going to be any different to the first, then we're gravely mistaken. 
If you believe church can never affect the world when it's a corporation and not a family, it can never shift the earth. For God so loved the world, he gave us a son, not a committee. And while the church continues to be run by CEOs and not fathers, it cannot shift the earth. It's impossible because the Great Commission was to change the earth through family. That's all it is. It's a very simple. The older I get, the simpler it gets. Or maybe the simpler I get. I don't know. <laughs> but the older you get, the simpler it gets. It's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful story. And the revelation then that comes had to begin to work through in our life. And I began to see, and I'm, you know, just saying little bits out with you this morning, but I had to begin to see the journey of life. And that was wrapped up in fatherhood and, and sonship. I remember when we left the Salvation Army, we began walking the streets and working with drug addicts and prostitutes and everything in the city of Melbourne. And we're still young. You know. We've been through all that. All that happened in the first 10 years of my life also included the whole launch of what we do now as Church of the Nation. So a lot happens in that 10 years of ministry. But I remember sitting in our little house in the gang world of Melbourne and having to settle some issues in your heart. I'm sitting there, Marilyn's there, we've got two little babies, my sister's there. We're just sitting around the table and we've got not one thing to our name. Not one thing left to our name. Not a cent. I think it was still cents. It was cents then, not pennies. It was cents by then. But not a cent. Not one piece of food. Nothing. We had no backers. We'd come out of the denomination. We were cut off, you know, and isolated and all that kind of thing. And we're just working with drug kids. And we're sitting there around the table this night. We'd cashed in. We'd pawned our guitars. We'd cashed in any bottles that you could get money for back in those days. We had nothing, not one crust of bread. We sat around an empty table. We'd sit around an empty table with another thing, no sense to your name, and you pray something like, Father, for what we're about to receive, we are truly grateful. It's a little different than when the thing's loaded with wings. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we are grateful, but it's not, it doesn't take a lot of faith to get it from there to here. But when there's nothing there whatsoever, and I remember sitting there, and looking at Marilyn, and Australia is very British and similar to here, you know, in that way. And I looked at Marilyn, and the kids said, I'm going to go and buy us the meal. I remember walking out the door. We're right in the middle of the gang world. People getting shot around where we are. We're on the busiest, in, real busy intersection. And the fish and chip shop was across through the lights and down the road a bit. About 500 meters, I guess. And I walk out and I said, Father, if this is my life now, if this is what we're about, I'm not looking for anything really. But I've just got to know how this stuff works. Because if you're my dad, I need to understand your fatherhood. I've got to get to grips with these things. I never want to live my life, and I wasn't saying these things then, but I'm never going to be a hireling if you're ever around Christianity, you become a hireling, you can become a filing. <laughs> I wanted to be a son to a dad and build his business, his life, his families. I remember walking out that night and saying, Father, I've got to get this settled. Cross the traffic light halfway to the 500 meters of the fish and chip shop, looked down on my feet as I was walking along the street and there was the money for the meal. I bent down, picked it up, went and brought the fish and chips. That's 50, well, that's over 40 years ago, 45 years ago. From that day to this day, Mara and I have lived on three continents, raised our kids, released the ministry globally, and we've never, ever missed a meal unless God's called us to fast. Why? Great faith? No. Grace, grace. Amen. Great faith. No. Although I learnt faith as well. But grace, grace. 
Because I had to settle something in my heart. That's why I believe fatherhood is going to be the new evangelism. You try it. I've been in restaurants, asked a waiter. Someone serves us well in a hotel. Mara and I were in a hotel in London and a girl was helping us get checked in. I was having a sons meeting there. Some spiritual sons were gathering from around Europe to meet with Mara and I. We meet periodically with them there, our European ones. And, and we were just there and this girl was helping us. Uh, obviously Im immigrant girl into England, which 98% of England is anyhow. But um, she was helping us. And I just said to her after she did, you must make your daddy proud. She never even missed a beat, looked me right in the eyes and said, I haven't seen him for 10 years. I was there for three days every time I saw her. She just wanted to talk about fatherhood. Because this gospel is not just get rid of your junk. It's bringing you to a dad. That you can surrender all the pearls to and trust him for everything. Because if you can't, we're only a charismatic version of the problem, not the answer. Amen? You see, I realized because for the journey for us, it's, I had to learn, and we've just got a few minutes before we shut, I guess. Yeah, I had to learn... Um, Oh, till seven tonight. <laughs> we can't let the rest of the wings get cold. No. But um, I had to look and say, Jesus, how did you travel this? How, how was your journey? Because I'll, probably, I'll enlarge on this if, probably on Sunday morning if we get an opportunity, if it goes that way. But the foundational scriptures that move my life that these guys have heard me share on dozens of times, but... Um, the scriptures that changed my life, number one was Isaiah chapter 9. And in cha Isaiah chapter 9, it's in verses 6 to 9, are the incredible scripture, you know it well, and I'm just sharing heart today rather than reading all the scriptures to you. But it says, you know there, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Amen. He shall be wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father, etc., and the government will rest upon his shoulders and the increase of his government and his rule of his kingdom will know no, nothing but increase for the zeal of the Lord, which is Marilyn's favorite bit of that scripture. The zeal of the Lord will perform it, not us. A zealous God will perform it. We've only got the privilege of doing it with him. But the weight of it doesn't rest on our shoulders. And when I read that many, many years ago, that scripture, and I read this, for unto us a child is born under... Us, to us a son is given and he shall be wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father. That changed my life when I saw that Isaiah, looking down through the years to come, hundreds of years to come, saw Jesus remembered as an everlasting father, not as an everlasting son. That changed my life totally. And then the other scripture which won't expound too much, but it was in John 17. When Jesus prayed this to the Father, he said, Father, I've completed the work you've given me to do. Now glorify myself back with you where I was before this began. I've completed the work that you've given me to do. And he goes on and then shares through. That was the other side of the story that shifted my heart. Because here, if someone had asked me up to that point, why did Jesus come? I would have said he came to die on a cross pay the price for sin, set people free from sin, and get us ready for heaven. But here Jesus says to the Father, Father, I've completed the work you've given me to do, and he hasn't even been to the cross yet. That's what shifted me. You see. Uh, John 17, all the way through there, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way through. So he hasn't even been to the cross yet. And he says, I've completed the work you've given me to do. A bit of a paraphrase, but it's not stretching what is taught all the way through there. He then goes on and he says a most profound thing. Because you've got to ask yourself the question, what was the work you had to do before you could go to the cross? 
People say, why did Jesus die when he was 33? I can tell you exactly. Exactly. In a minute. <laughs> but I can tell you exactly why he died when he was 33. See, he said, Father, I've completed the work that you've given me to do. And then he went on to say what it was. The men you gave me out of the world are ready. I'm a dad and my sons are ready to release the kingdom. You see, you never measure apostolic grace by how many churches you have. You can only measure apostolic grace by how many sons you send. Male and female sons. All right, when I say sons, I'm talking about men and women. I say to the ladies, we'll let you be a son of God if you let us be a part of the bride of Christ. That's the deal. <laughs> Because that's what Jesus had. His completion. You imagine you or I in that situation. We give him a report to the Father before we go to the cross and die of three years of ministry. What would have we said? We probably would have said, Father, we fed 5,000 supernaturally and there were 12 basketfuls left over. It was a wild day. <laughs> Father, sometimes thousands came to my meetings and sometimes every single person got healed. And then there are other times, Lord, it wasn't quite so dramatic, but Dad, you just said to me, go and heal one by the pool, and I did and went home, and it was fine. I raised three from the dead, and I got more bold each time. I mean, we could have given a good account of three years of ministry. And Jesus giving three years of ministry account to his father, the only thing he said was this, the men you gave me out of the world, they're ready. The fruit of my three years is in 11 men. It's not in the 5,000. That's a wonderful thing about this wonderful message of the kingdom. The 5,000 got the blessing. 11 got the inheritance. And one of the questions as a kingdom person you've got to ask, do I want the blessing? Only or do I want the inheritance? Because hirelings can get the blessing, but only sons get the inheritance. Amen. You can have a company out there that's doing well, got good staff, it's going pretty well, if there can be exceptions to this, and the boss has got a son, he's just hanging out in the way, playing his ukulele with his feet in the water. And the dad drops dead. Who gets the inheritance? Not the workers, unless it's drawn up a different way, but most times the son. Was he doing everything right? No, but he was a son. And sons get inheritance. Couldn't say, I deserve it, I earned it, I worked for it, nothing. It was just grace. It wasn't because of what he had done, it was because of whose he was. And here Jesus is with these 11 guys. Man, they had made a mess of it. They had stuck their foot in it. Sometimes they say about Peter, he only ever opened his mouth, to every time he opened his mouth was to change feet. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know putting his foot in it here, there, all the kinds of stuff that was going on, you know the story. But they were his. That's where you see the incredible grace of God. You want to know, you see the greatest picture of the grace of Jesus that he carried? You know when Peter denied him, then went fishing again? I picture these things, you see, being fairly much a non-reader. I picture these things. But I imagine when Jesus went to the beach that day, looking for Peter. Here he is cooking him breakfast on the beach and he yells out, Hey! Caught anything? Oh no. Peter must have thought, not again. <laughs> Caught anything? No, it's a bad night. It's because you got the net on the wrong side of the boat again. Yeah, it must be frustrating for a fisherman to be told where the fish are by a carpenter. 
puts it over the other, pulls it up on the beach so much. You know the story. You know, Jesus never challenged him once about him denying him. All he talked to him about was their relationship. Are you my friend? Do you really love me? That was the only issue. Wasn't it I need to give you six months break or something because right now you know you're really not eligible for this. You deny me and that girl, she put a blog out about you because of the words you used and all that kind of stuff. So it's best if you sit aside for a little while. No, it was just, do you love me? Then what are you doing here? Go feed my sheep. Isn't there something bigger between us? That's the tremendous grace of God. So that was the journey. Jesus had to walk a journey into fatherhood. But how did he walk it? And with this I'm wrapping it. Because this takes me an hour. (laughs) Unto us a child was born, unto us a son was given. He shall be an everlasting father. Jesus didn't automatically become the dad. He had to be a child and then a son. See, when Jesus was 12 years old, in our modern-day Western church, at 12 years old, Jesus would have been released into his ministry. He was wiser than the intellectuals of his day. He was out debating them. He must have been tempted because it says he was tempted in every way common to man, so he must have thought, maybe this is my chance. Now, the whole story is bizarre, isn't it, if you don't understand community and family and all that. It's bizarre. Here they are leaving Jerusalem on a trip. His mum and dad are a day into the trip before they know that they've lost the saviour of the human race. I mean, this is really a bizarre story when you read it. They look at one another, where's Jesus? Well, I, I don't know, where is he? They're a day on the journey and their 12-year-old is missing and he's the saviour of the human race. I mean, they had valuable cargo on board. (laughs) They can't find him. If you understand true church, you'll understand a little bit then. It was just an automatic understanding. He was somewhere else in the family. But then they checked. Seen him? No. Where did he sleep last night? I don't know. He didn't come home. And they turned around, went back looking for him. It took another two days to find him. Three days and the saviour of the human race is missing. Can you imagine? I mean, even today they would have been arrested for child neglect. (laughs) Jesus would have been in the hands of the system by now. Then they find him. you imagine Mary was really excited when she walked into that room, heard him having all this intellectual discussion? She probably walked up, grabbed him by the ear and said, kid, we're out of here. <laughs> you realize the concern you've called dad and, caused dad and me over the last few days? She said, mom, don't you know? He said, mom, don't you know I've got to be about my father's business? But whatever way you read the story, it was incredible. You know, that's the last time in the Bible we ever hear of Joseph. I know whether that was just too much for him, whether he walked out after that. All I know is by the cross he wasn't in the story. Because by the cross when Jesus was dying with the weight of sin on his body, setting everybody free from the bondage of sin, launching the day of the kingdom, he's breath is running out his body is bruised and so destroyed as he's hanging there and before he can even die he cannot die without him looking down to John and looking to Mary and saying Mary this is your son now son this is Mary and it says from that day on Mary moved in with John so obviously Joseph's not around now isn't it most incredible that here Jesus is dying with the weight of the sin of the world upon him and he cannot even die without taking care of his mother and best friend, and we somehow think church is an institution, not family. You imagine. Unbelievable, really. So Mary's gone. So 
uh, Joseph's gone. So what happens? We know that, you know, Jesus was working with Joseph, I guess, in the carpenter shop some, and I don't know whether he died or what happened. He left. Or, uh, uh, we got no idea. We'll know one day. But we know Mary raised Jesus and had a very strong impartation into his hand. I know there's one part of Christianity that overplays Mary's role, but I want to tell you, I think the rest of us underplay it. Because she was only 14 or 15 years old when she was pregnant with him. And that day on the cross, she was still only in her early 40s as she watched him hang there that day. Unbelievable that God could trust her with that journey. These things she kept in her heart, you know, the Bible talks about. But she raised him, you know, and that whole time, being a child, we would have released him at 12 years old. Father says, not yet, because I'm not going to release to the earth a kid with a head full of knowledge. I'm going to release a son in my image. And another 18 years, he lived with Mary. And Joseph, we trust for quite a bit of whatever. You see, he had to learn how to build kingdom furniture out of a tree before God was going to trust him to carry one up a hill. You learn in sonship. And he traveled from being a child to being a son till that day in the waters of baptism when the heavens opened. And he heard his father say, this is my beloved son. Not my beloved apostle, not my beloved prophet, not my beloved pastor, not my beloved teacher. This is my beloved son. And unto us a child was born, and now unto us a son was given. And three years later, an everlasting father went to the cross. Because that three years of raising his sons was incredible. One verse from going from being a child to being a son, he grew. In wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and man. He grew intellectually, he grew physically, he grew socially and he grew spiritually. Until that day when his hairy second cousin was in the river calling everybody to repentance Jesus now a dead man walking because sons have not only lost their sin, they've lost their pearls. He's got no rights anymore. See, he would have stood on a box if he had and explained to the crowd because all John the Baptist was calling in was dirty, rotten sinners. And here's the spotless lamb of God. If he walks down that bank, he's testifying to everybody on the bank. He's a dirty, rotten sinner. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And the spotless lamb of God walks down there. He doesn't have to justify anything anymore. He's got no pearls. He's got no rights. Just got to do what the father wants him to do. And that's why he said from that day on at least, he only ever did what he saw the father doing. only ever said what he heard the father saying and now 2,000 years by as Kevin was saying last night we live in 2019 the year of our Lord history change we stopped counting years as they were and we started to count them again back into that you know, for this man as he moved from being a child to being a son to being a father. You see, it would be tremendously hard work if it wasn't for his grace. Because that's a wonderful thing of it. See, Mara and I, in our journey of life, I can't even tell you we've ever even had a plan. We've had no great... Most times we just got there, looked back and realised, hey, we got here somehow. Nothing wrong with planning, but you know what I mean? It's when we arrived in Heathrow Airport, we'd just been excommunicated to hell from an organization and a curse put over our life, and I won't go into details of that. We arrived at Heathrow, Marin and I, two children in our arms, $200 to our name, two suitcases and a team of 10 people. 
not even knowing anything. And here we are today, and all I can say is grace, grace. Because God's grace is incredible. We used to use the little breakdown, didn't we? God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. I don't know where you are in your journey from being a child to being a son to being a father. But if you've stopped somewhere, keep traveling. See, the only reason, I can only talk about the USA where I live now, but the greatest reason our nation's not changed is because on Sunday, half the population gather in the buildings, sing a few songs and listen to a message, but they never move from being a child to being a son to being a father. So they play in a little charismatic nursery until someone breaks a toy and then they get upset and they move down the street and join another nursery. And we, call, and we, and we call it church growth. I must end now because I'm crossing the line where Marilyn will say, you're moving from being prophetic to sarcastic. So, no. Just want to stir it a little bit. It's what happens where we are all the time because people don't know how to live it from relationship base. They don't know how to travel with dads. They don't know how to walk as sons in the house. They don't know how to come up as be sons. Amen. So I just want to pray for you. Time for us to go. We're way past time. Not apologizing because I'm just sharing along. But I want to just encourage you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for apostolic grace to be poured out upon every life, Father. Not so they're apostles, but apostolic grace, Father. That grace that flowed from heaven it comes by revelation. So we'll enlarge a bit more on tonight. But it comes from revelation, Father. It can set captives free, open eyes. Father, the world outside these doors are crying out to know a dad. Because an orphan spirit is controlling everything that opposes true fatherhood in the earth. Wrecking churches, it's moving through systems. Releasing agendas that contradict who you really are. But many times it's not coming from just evil people or people willfully wanting to do bad or mess things up. It's coming from orphans. They haven't found life in a dad yet trying to prove themselves or test themselves and never just found home sweet home. So, Father, I pray as this weekend continues that many will find home afresh because home's not in an it. It's in a him. So, Father, I just pray a Father's blessing over these lives today. I pray, God, that beyond everything else. They would see your fatherhood in their life. You know, sometimes when you stand in worship, you stand before the king, you hardly know what to do. The awesomeness of who he really is, your need your, is all vanishing because you see how great he is as you stand in the midst of it. And then in the midst of all that greatness, you feel sometimes the fear of the Lord a little bit there, but then you take a step back and you realize he's looking down at you and he's your dad. And he wraps his arms around you and says, I'm so excited to have you as my kid. And something happens in you because you realize his blood is flowing through you now. Royalty has finally found a home. And that kingship of God is within us. I just love 
what Dean said last night about the Ark of the Covenant clothed in skin. Wonderful revelation. So be blessed, enjoy your day, and we'll see you as, as it travels on. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Finish the story. Don't leave us hanging. I did, I did tell you, but, but, but you have to have revelation to get it. Um, <laughs> he died at 33 because he said, the men you gave me out of the world, they're ready. If it had to take him until he was 34 for them to be ready, he would have died at 34. So the thing that measured him going to the cross was not just a date in history, but it was the raising of his sons to be ready to lead the kingdom. Amen. Wow. Now you know what I mean when I said that you're going to learn things today and then you're going to realize you believed it all along. You just didn't know it. Do you know what I'm saying? Isn't that exactly how you feel? Wow. All right. So uh, tonight at 7 o'clock, uh, Tony is on deck again tonight. So it's going to be part two. All right. Uh, tonight. And so we don't want you to miss out on it. And uh, uh, we've uh, left the day clear uh, so you can, you know, go do whatever you got to do this afternoon. And uh, but tonight be back here. Uh, Seven o'clock. We're going to start. Uh, ca the cafe will be uh, uh, open, at least maybe some coffee there anyway, I know, so we're going we're gonna to do what we can to take care of you, bless you, and uh, so Father, we thank you for the impartation today, wow, 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 we pray, Father, tonight that God, once again, you will move by your spirit, that Father, you will uh, help us to understand, and Father, take home so that, God, we uh, not only are your children and your sons, but we also are your fathers in the land. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Have a great afternoon. See you tonight.